I thought I had friends, but they all disappeared. Doggone my bad luck, so everything I do, people, everything I do seems to be wrong. It wouldn't be so bad if I knew that I had a home. Welcome, baseball fans, to episode 13 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of all baseball podcasts. This week, I am excited to be joined by two members of the Banished to the Pen family, Chris Baber and Simon Gutierrez. Guys, say hello to the Internet. Hi, Internet, from snowy central New York. And Simon? And good morning from beautiful, sunny, northwest coast or thereabouts in Oregon, Portland. Yeah, who would think you would have the sunny weather and I would be the one freezing in D.C.? Who would think? <laughs> it's been outrageous. It's really amazing. By the way, did I get your guys' names right? Did I say them, pro- pronounce them correctly? Because I am maybe the worst at getting names of all time. I didn't hear anything right. that raised my hackles, so I think, I think it was good. All right, so we'll start there. So uh, first place we start every week, guys, I want to have you all introduce yourselves to the audience uh, I think people probably know your work, but uh, don't maybe recognize your voice and certainly don't, uh, you know, know you, the person. So uh, let's start with Chris. We'll go with alphabetical order. Uh, Chris, you know, introduce yourself to the audience, uh, where they can find you on social media, day job, uh, how you became a fan of Effective, Effectively Wild. And, uh, of course, are you Team Ben or Team Sam? All right. Yeah, my name is Chris. Um, I am on Twitter at CJ Baber. Uh, it's B-A-B-E-R. Um, yeah, I've only written a couple things for Banished to the Pin. Uh, giant Orioles fan. Grew up in Virginia and now uh, have relocated to snowy central New York on Lake Ontario. Uh, during the day, I uh, don't do much since I just moved up here. Um, I work at a middle school as an advisor uh, for the youth at the school. Um, and I have listened to Effectively Wild since the beginning uh, I heard about it through my brother, um, who I think has either been on the podcast or is going to be to talk about Snowpiercer, um, <laughs> and got started with Up and In a couple years, well, it's been a couple years since I went off the air, but uh, towards the beginning, I'm not a point niner, but I started at like episode 20 of that, um, and uh, I go back and forth between Team Ben and Team Sam. Um, I think this past week... I'm on Team Sam because uh, of the voting on Banished to the Pin. A lot of the things that I voted on uh, were more around Sam, um, particularly the opening song that he did. Okay. I can I can dig with that very much. Okay. Uh, Simon, same thing, same question. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Simon Gutierrez. I uh, live here in Portland, Oregon, which is uh, Rob Nyer country, I believe, and maybe Jeff Sullivan country, too, although I've yet to run into them anywhere. Um, <clears throat> I started listening early on in the uh, Effectively Wild series, really enjoying the uh, the awkwardness at first uh, that Ben and Sam were. It almost appeared like uh, neither of them wanted to do it, and yet they kept doing it every day. <laughs> and after a while, uh, I just kind of watched them smooth everything out, and everything became more comfortable. And now they're just a juggernaut, and uh, you know, it just—it's seamless. It's a—it's a—it's a thing of thing of beauty to listen to, really. Uh, my day job—I'm a uh, reporter for the local uh, news station up here, the Channel 12 in Portland, Oregon. 
And I've been following baseball all my life. I played in high school and college, and I play old man baseball when I get a chance. I've played down in San Antonio and uh, Connecticut and Houston in uh, 35 and 30 and over leagues. And so I continue to compete and uh, just watch as much as I can with a toddler and a six-month-old and just kind of catch five, ten minutes of the game uh, streaming on the, the old Xbox and uh you know, in between changing diapers and whatnot. So that's uh, that's me. Uh, team Ben or Team Sam? You know, I go back and forth. I don't think there is Team Ben or Team Sam. You, you have to like both of them because you couldn't replace one of them on that podcast and have it be even close to the same things. The chemistry between them is so endearing. Uh, you, you know, I mean, I'd hate to go one way or the other. I I enjoy different things about about each of them, but... Sam is, uh, I guess, the sentimental choice because he's uh, when when he loses control and, and laughs and squeaks is is just uh, it's just delightful. Yeah, and you made a great point yeah. off air. We were discussing Sam's beard, and I've been giving it great marks for the cleanliness and how kept up it is. But you made a great point that uh, perhaps maybe there's some more dedication to keeping it long and scraggly, and that's got me now uh, kind of rethinking that I might be swaying back to Team Ben now rather than Team Sam. So. Yeah, I wrote a I wrote a, a piece on it for Vanish to the Pen. Uh, you're kind of jokingly scouting his uh, television appearance on MLB.com or MLB, MLB Network, and uh, scouted his beard. I think I gave him a 64 out of 70 or, or something in that in that range. And uh, some people were a little felt a little more strongly about it, but because of the 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 shortness or the, the you know the lack of length on the beard, I mean, it was neatly trimmed and uh, uh, coiffed. I think you put it, but you can't hang a, a 70 on a beard like that just because, uh, you know, you have the Duck Dynasty, the ZZ Top, uh, or even something like a Mike Napoli beard that's got two, three inches of depth away from the chin area. That's a difficult thing to manage and to, to keep up. So the, the dedication and the precision required to to wear that sort of a beard, that, that's where you're going to get your high 60s and, and 70 grades on a scouting scale. And, you know, people think this is just a baseball podcast. No, this is – we cover everything. We cover men's fashion, men's facial hair, everything. But uh, I, I think you've, you've swayed me. I think you're right. I think I'm back to Team Ben now. So good job, Simon. Already you've uh, knocked one out of the park, and we're five minutes in. So good job, brother. All right. So, uh, okay, in all seriousness, I do want to uh, – I want to talk some baseball. I'm trying to be lighthearted today. But, uh, Simon, I want to start with you. Uh, you wrote the Texas Rangers preview for the Banish to the Pen site uh, fairly recently. Uh, and I think the Rangers are one of the more fascinating teams in the last four or five years. We saw them on the doorstep of a couple of World Series. I mean, goodness, we thought Hamilton was going to be, you know, the Cinderella story and they were going to win a World Series and they lost it. And then last season was, I don't know, kind of a lost season, so to speak. And then there's a little bit of optimism going into this year, and then Darvish gets hurt. So I, I just uh, maybe start and give you the floor with uh, your thoughts on the Rangers offseason and kind of where they are right now. Yeah, snake bit is the term I used in the uh, Rangers preview. They just can't seem to shake the injury bug. I mean, 2014 was a lost year for several players, and the problem with that was John Daniels appeared to have set the roster up specifically to compete in 2014. And had everyone been healthy, there's a good chance they they would have been in the, one of the top two teams in the, the AL West headed for the playoffs. And 
then who knows when, but injuries to Prince Fielder, Eurickson Profar, uh, Martin Perez needed Tommy John surgery, Derek Holland needed microfracture surgery on his knee, Matt Harrison needed back surgery. So there's, you know, three key members out of your rotation that were all signed to extensions to keep them with the Rangers. So ostensibly Daniels had a lot of faith in them to be successful in 2014 and fully expected them to be contributing members of the rotation, but the injuries just sidelined that and you had guys out there pitching with that nobody had ever heard of before um you know sixth seventh eighth starters you get into the nick martinez's uh, nick tepish's you know folks like you could imagine they they could be you know sixth inning relievers fifth inning mop-up guys but probably not third fourth and fifth starters on a, a the team that's trying to compete so you had the rangers in, in just an awkward position where their roster was just like they wanted it, or Daniels wanted it, probably. And then good chunks of that roster just sort of disappeared. And you're left with all these holes that you, you just can't fill. You can't replace that many contributing members of a team mid-season with a trade. So Daniels found himself in an unenviable position. And the uh, what uh, the quote that I, I pulled for the piece was that, Daniels is saying, we're not going to take the woe is me mentality. It doesn't serve any purpose. Uh, that was Daniels uh, quoted in USA Today, trying to be optimistic. He always has to be optimistic because it's really all that he can do. Uh, he's kind of handcuffed by a lot of these contracts, even though they're team-friendly contracts, most of them. Uh, they are you know, contractual obligations to pay players who are simply not playing. <laughs> so it, he has not a lot of wiggle room, even in the off season, to go out and replace or augment the roster in any meaningful way. Uh, we saw the Giovanni Gallardo trade, which is a, a bit of an upgrade to the rotation, but then you lose Darvish. So you know, arguably, you're you're still on the losing end of that because Gallardo isn't Darvish to begin with. And now Darvish is gone. So you have Gallardo, almost the de facto team ace, either he or Derek Holland. And Holland has to prove that he's uh, back to form after the surgery on his knee, although he looked good late in the season last year. And Gallardo is sort of a different Gallardo than he was earlier in his career, where he was dominant in, in many outings and he had pinpoint control. Uh, he still has the, the control and command, but he's lost some heat off of his fastball, and he's allowing more contact, and he's striking out fewer batters, and those are not good signs as you're heading into the the ages where he's in his late 20s, where you begin to lose velocity, and you have to start rethinking your approach to hitters, and that's what Gallardo is, and he's trying to do that, but you know they're not. The Rangers did not go out and acquire an ace uh, per se. They they required what appears to be right now a maybe number two but probably more likely number three caliber starter who will show some flashes but just doesn't have the stuff anymore to consistently go out and dominate hitters and so the rangers offseason was you know, relatively quiet with that being the, the major acquisition and it left them with with some glaring holes still in the roster because they didn't have the roster flexibility to go out and get anybody um you have shinsu chu returning which is good, but he's old, which is bad. And so you don't really know which chew you're going to get. 
It could be the 2013 Chew with 20 homers and 20 steals or thereabouts and an on-base percentage of 400, which is great. And that's clearly what Daniels is hoping for, but is that realistic to expect that after, A, an injury and another year older? Um, you know, Daniels is hoping to get close to that kind of a player that he can put somewhere at the near the top of his lineup, uh, and that would be great. But you're, you know, that's a roll of the dice there, and just kind of seeing what it's going to get. And Zips uh, is kind of my favorite projection system. Uh, I, uh, I'm too cheap or too broke or a combination of the two to buy a subscription to Baseball Prospectus, so I don't have access to Pocota. But Zips is uh, put together by Dan Shimborski uh, over at ESPN, and it is rated uh, at the top of the the accurate scale in terms of these projection systems it comes out the the closest uh, to actual values uh, and so it's a, it's a strong predictor and I like to use it because it's free uh, and zips has chew hitting 260 372 406 and that's pretty good that's a, that's a pretty good bat it's not anywhere close to what he was in 2013 which is the Chew that ostensibly Daniels was hoping to acquire when he signed him, but it's still a solid player, and his defense, you can say what you want about it, but we don't know. Uh, Cecil, pardon me, not Cecil. Cecil Fielder would be fun to watch on the Rangers, but uh, Prince Fielder is coming back uh, off that strange injury that we didn't know exactly what was wrong with him. It turned out to be, I think, a shoulder thing or an elbow thing, and uh, he's projected to hit just 262, 360, 437 with you know 262 average 360 on base and 437 slugging with 21 homers and that's also pretty good even for you know a modern day first baseman because offense is down but 21 home runs is not the prince fielder that again daniels envisioned he was acquiring when he traded uh, for him and so you've got two pieces returning that give you some value but probably not the value that you expected they were going to give you in their first couple of years with the team. Daniels clearly expected a strong season from both Chu and Fielder in 2014. Almost makes you think it was sort of an all-in approach, and then they both just fell apart and weren't there. So they're coming back, and that's an improvement, but you still have a glaring hole in left field where right now it's Michael Choice and Ryan Rua slated to get the bulk of the playing time and Michael Choice was a prospect and the A's system rated fairly highly but he stopped developing uh, it seemed like as he got in the AAA level to the point where he was what you know that you hear about the 4A type player that's kind of what it looked like he, he was doing he was dominating AAA but when he got a taste of major league pitching he just couldn't keep up and uh you know, Ryan Rua was never a prospect. He showed some pop last year in limited time, but it, real real question as to what you're going to get out of somebody like that. He's a big guy, um, but there's no indication that, that he's going to be ready for major league pitching or to be a major league regular. And I just see left field as kind of an open sore uh, on the roster in, in this lineup where you don't have anybody in the minor leagues right now that you can bring up to fill it. There's not really anybody you can acquire um, easily or cheaply that can fill it, although there are some uh, 
appealing, I guess you you could think of them possibilities with the the Red Sox roster, and the two have uh, uh, traded earlier uh, in the off season with uh, Anthony Ronaldo going from the Red Sox to the uh, Rangers for uh, Robbie Ross, I believe, left-handed reliever. So the two teams have uh, cooperated before. The Red Sox have a glut of outfielders, and the Rangers appear to have a dearth. And so you could wonder whether a Shane Victorino or an Alan Craig might be an option for Daniels because they could be acquired and maybe the Red Sox would pick up some of the money uh, left on their um, contracts. I think Victorino's supposed to make about $13.5 million, and Alan Craig was signed to a team-friendly deal with the Cardinals, which I think had him making about 10 or $15 million. Uh, I, I have to look it up, but I don't feel like doing that right now. But I think it's in that range. Well, so. Simon, I, let, me interrupt you. let me interrupt you a second, because so, uh, you're bringing up a lot of it. You've brought up a lot. So I want to. there's a big question that I want to ask you, uh, which is kind of overreaching, is so you think this team still thinks they can win. I mean, we're, it, Darvish went down, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or what have you. Like you pointed out, this team didn't do a lot this offseason to kind of fill some of these major holes. So you still think that they believe they can make a playoff run? I think before the the Darvish injury, Daniels was ready just to hit the reset button and try again with 2015 with the roster that he pictured he had in 2014. But the Darvish injury, I think, changes that. And, you know, he has to be optimistic, but he's clearly lacking uh, an ace arm. But Darvish was that game one starter in the playoff series that could go out and dominate for seven, eight, nine innings. And, you know, there's a chance that Holland is that person going forward, but he's never really been that person before. He's never been that pitcher. He's been a solid number two, number three guy. And, you know, it really depends on how you think about roster construction. The Red Sox went into the season, and and in in a way these are two similar teams. The Red Sox went into the season – with no ace, uh, with Rick Porcello ostensibly the the first pitcher they'd go to in a playoff series, uh, followed by Wade Miley, Clay Buckholz, and uh, Justin Masterson, and the likes of them. Uh, no clear number one on that staff, and the Rangers are, are kind of similar, and they have similar, I guess, caliber pitchers on, on their roster, and I think it really comes down to pitching. I think offensively, the Rangers will be just fine. Uh, they've got some players that can hit the ball real well. Uh, Adrian Beltre is coming back, and he just... He just never seems to get bad. He's, he's still awesome. Uh, Prince Fielder's coming back. And so there's some pop in the lineup, but the pitching is, is really what you look at. They were just just abysmal in, in 2014, near the bottom of the league in almost every category, and they really need to improve on that. So yeah, I think that I think Daniels does think that they can compete because this is mostly the roster he expected to have last year. But, again, he's lost that ace pitcher. And it, that's a real tough thing. Uh, he's, he just, at this point, has to hope that his offense is going to be strong enough to score enough runs that the pitchers don't have to be ace-level uh, pitchers, that they can give up three, four runs a game and still win the game. Okay. I, well, call me a skeptic, a skeptic of that plan because I think I would have hit the reset button as soon as Darvish got hurt. I would have sold whatever I could have and tried to start over. This It, it doesn't seem like there's a tremendous amount of talent it feels like there are three or four teams ahead of them in the division in terms of winning this year and so i'm I'm interested to see or to hear you say that they think uh daniels is is still thinks they can compete that's interesting to me i really do i think he's got some young players that he really likes you know leonis martin and uh rugnet odor who's a very interesting young player odor he was just 20 last year and uh 
hit hit I think uh, nine ten home runs. Played some good second base. Twenty years old, and you don't really think about that because it was a lost season. But he he played very well for a really young guy. And Zips, the projection system has a pretty optimistic line for him, uh, expecting him to hit about two seventy. Uh, slugging 436 with 17 home runs. That, that's really good for a second baseman, especially a 21-year-old. And that's a good piece to have, along with your fielder, your Chew, your Leonis Martin, your Adrian Beltre. And you start to kind of dream on the offense, kind of carrying this team. Uh, you're again talking about the loss of the ace, but they do have some solid pitching behind him. So again, it's... Uh, it's a question of the Rangers being the old Rangers, the way they used to be uh, back 10, 15 years ago, where they just slugged, outslugged everybody, and uh, pitchers be damned, they were just going to go out and score six, seven runs a game and beat you. If they can do that this year, that's that's how they're going to compete, unless they have some some young arms come out of nowhere. And I don't really see them anywhere on the roster or in the minors coming, uh, nobody coming with a flamethrower to, to mow everybody down. I think they just have to go with what they've got but yeah you know you're you're in a hole where you're looking up at the angels uh, probably the a's again and the mariners and wondering like if you're going to even come close to to competing with those teams uh and the next uh, the final player i got to ask you about is uh what are the odds that adrian beltre is on this roster on Jan- july 31st yeah that's yeah that's a good question he's a uh, he's probably your most tradable chip um he's his contract is not ridiculous. Uh, he's got a year or two left on it. And he just continues to hit and continues to field. So you could see him really uh, playing a, a key part in somebody's playoff push if they're looking for more offense at third base. Uh, you got to wonder how many teams out there need more offense at third base. Uh, it, it seems to be a pretty strong position this year uh, around the league. So you'd have to have somebody that wants to make an upgrade at that position because obviously he doesn't play the outfielder. Can't play across the diamond. He's never played first base. I'm sure he could. Uh, but his bat would play obviously anywhere. But a lot of his value comes from the defense at third. So you'd have to have somebody looking to make an upgrade in that direction. But I think, I think if, you, if you see the Rangers at the all-star break in fourth place, that's when Daniels has to start thinking about who he can move and what he can get back in terms of prospects to build for the future because the, the farm system is is ranked in the, in the lower third uh, of the league, somewhere around 23, 24, uh, in, in that direction where there isn't a lot of uh, stuff in the cupboard that, that you can look forward to coming up anytime and helping the club. Although Nomar uh, uh, Mazzaro, a young guy, a double A, seems to seems to be hitting the cover off the ball and should eventually help out in the Rangers outfield, but that's still maybe a year or two down the road, and he's one of the only young guys that you're really looking at uh, possibly making a contribution. So uh, dealing Beltre for a couple prospects, maybe an arm and a couple position players, might make a lot more sense if you're struggling to compete at the All-Star break. Okay, uh, so Simon, before we wrap the uh, Texas talk, Give me a, a win prediction and a bold prediction for 2015. <sighs> let me let me go back to what, what I did predict because I don't want to contradict myself. I had them predicted to go 80 and 82, fourth place in the AL West, unless you Darvish comes back and throws left-handed. 
and <laughs> winds up being good at that, which I think the odds are pretty low that he can pull a Pat Bendy. Uh, bold prediction, I say that Adrian Beltre is not traded. We'll see what happens, but I don't, I don't see them uh, shipping him off. I don't see them getting enough of a return, and I think they just like having him around. I could be wrong, but that's, that's what I think. All right. Sounds good. I, I'll give you those. Those are bold. So, uh, All right, Simon, I'm going to banish you to the pen for a minute, and Chris, I'm going to call you in for the pen. Uh, Sounds we, good. We need to talk some Baltimore Orioles, my friend. Yeah, I think Chris is making <laughs> breakfast or something there. <laughs> no, it's lunchtime here. Uh, so, Chris, uh, let's start with the Orioles. Um, I think their offseason was, I think, relatively quiet in some ways. You saw Marcakis, you know, some in some ways the face of the franchise uh, walk. You saw Vi uh, Victor Cruz. Ne uh, Nelson Cruz <laughs> uh, walked to Seattle on a deal that was, you know, rather large. You saw them replaced by uh, Travis Snyder. Uh, just your thoughts on the offseason, first and foremost, uh, kind of being quiet in Baltimore. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you, you kind of feel like you could uh, feel all of the collective disappointment from all of the Orioles fans coming off of a 96-win year. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, after this year, I don't think they'll regret letting Marquecas and Cruz go. They both got a lot of money for, you know, four or five years each, and that's money that's you know, not going to a lot of wins, uh, you know, for each player. Nick Markakis, while I love him as an Orioles fan, you know, he's been great for us for almost a decade, if not, if not more. He was, you know, he was a bit overrated. Um, Very, it's hard, you know, it, it yeah. pains me to say that because I am an Orioles fan and everybody loves him. Um, but I mean, after that, I think it was 2007 when he had like six war, he was great that year. Really, every year since, you know, the speed's gone down and the power's gone down. Um, you used to be able to count on him for 40 doubles a year um, and 15 home runs, but you really haven't been able to do that. Um, and Nelson Cruz, you know, was great last year. Eight million, it was a bargain. He was amazing. But you look at the splits, his first, you know, two or three months of the season, he hit 315. You know, walked a lot, 383 on base, and slugged 675 with 20 home runs. And uh, the last three or four months of the season, over half of the rest of it, he you know hit 250, barely got on base over 30% of the time. And he hit another 20 home runs, but his slugging was a lot lower. So you know, the end of the season, he looked like his old self from previous years, which wasn't bad, but that's not worth whatever Seattle gave him. Um, you know, I thought it, it, there was no surprise that Andrew Miller left. You know, they got him knowing they were only going to keep him for August and September and the playoff run. Um, they weren't going to be able to afford him. And, you know, it, it sucks that he went to the Yankees because they're going to have to see him a lot and they're going to have to see that nasty slider. But, you know, I'll, I'll take having to see him over having to pay him $12 million a year for four years. Um, you know, they brought in... Uh, Lefty reliever Wesley Wright. Um, they signed fairly recently over the past month Everth Cabrera, who could be interesting. And then, you know, Travis Snyder, like you said. And, you know, if Duquette has taught us anything over the past three or four years, it's that he knows what he's doing when he signs castoffs or has-beens. Um, he just tends to 
hit gold year after year after year. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Travis Snyder is going to be this year's Steve Pierce, but he had a, he had a really good year last year or a half season at least, but he was good. And, you know, he's controlled this year and I believe next and he's going to be cheap. So it's kind of a, you know, they can't lose on that one because he can't for 2 million, I think is what he's going to cost this year. That's, he doesn't have to do much to be worth it. Yeah. Um, but certainly the offense and Duquette is expecting that uh, the offense is going to be replaced mostly in-house. I mean, last season you yeah. saw Chris Davis struggled, at least, you know, putting the bat to the ball. Machado was hurt some. You know, Hardy's season was way down, at least, you know, <laughs> home run-wise. Um, I'm blanking on another guy that was a, 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 had a, a Weeders, another guy that had a poor season. So, I'm giving you all the names kind of as a collective basket, but where are you seeing the offense? Are you seeing those guys all rebound? Some of them rebound kind of. What are you seeing from them and the offense? Yeah, so uh, until fairly recently, I definitely saw J.J. Hardy rebounding. Um, you know, he he played a lot last year, didn't really sit much, and I'm sure was banged up. I believe he hit his first home run in June, um, which seemed crazy. I ended up having a countdown Last year, I was, you know, kept on making bets with friends about when he was going to hit his first home run. Um, and then the news came out like a week ago or so that he has a hurt shoulder. He slid, or he dove for a ball, and I think he hit Scope, um, who is, you know, a giant brick wall at second base, just a massive, massive guy. Um, so I, I don't know if his power is going to rebound this year. Uh, if, he, if his shoulder is healthy, then I definitely think it will. He looked a little bit off at the plate. He wasn't. He was, you know, swinging with authority still, but he wasn't making um, the same type of contact that he did uh, in years past. Um, Chris Davis, you know, he he can't have a worse year than he did last year, um, unless he has like a Adam Dunn year, his first year in White Sox when he hit like eleven home runs and batted one hundred and fifty. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that you know he'll rebound. He'll hit two forty or so um, with. 35 home runs. I definitely think that'll happen. You know, his power was still there last year. He just wasn't making the contact. Machado, you know, both knees are healthy. I've been watching him this spring. He's been swinging the the bat great. Uh, He's making spectacular plays at third base. Um, You know, you're going to see gold glove caliber plays over there every day. You'll see him on, you know, sports center at night and baseball tonight at the top plays. Um, Eventually, that you know that doubles power will translate to more home runs. I think, and uh, if his knees, you know, are both healthy like he says they are, then I expect big things from him this year. Not necessarily like MVP caliber, but you know, I don't, I don't think it would be outrageous to see a guy hit, to see Machado hit twenty home runs and be worth six WAR with his defense. Um, Matt Weeders. Uh, He's a question mark right now. Um, he had a little bit of a setback with a sore elbow last week or two weeks ago, I guess. Um, I did not think he was ever going to come back at the beginning of the season. I figured he'd sit out a, a little bit. He needs some time because I need to really make sure he's completely healthy. Um, but when he does come back, you know, he's a great catcher. He's gigantic for the position, um, but the guy can – the guy knows what he's doing. He plays great defense. You know, he hits for power. You know, he never ended up, you know, being 
you know, what they said he was going to be, Joe Maurer with power, but, you know, he's exceptional behind the plate. You know, it was a shame to see him go down last year. Um, he was having a great season, you know, really short, played 20 or 30 games, but really looked good. Um, but those three guys, uh, Weeders, Machado, and Davis, if they all come back healthy and have a full season each, there's absolutely no reason they can't be much better than Marcakis and Cruz were last year. Um, and I think that will help carry their, their, you know, their offense. And that's not even to mention the guys they already have, you know, scope who, when he made contact, he really crushed the ball. He hit you know 16 home runs last year. He's, he's very big for the position. He's, if you've ever seen him in person, he's, he's just a monster out there. Um, it, he has a cannon of an arm. Most second basemen, I feel like, are moved to second base because they don't have a good arm. But that guy, you know, he could play third base. Um, he's very big, and he has a good feel for the position. He has good hands. They're soft. And, and what um, about Steve Pierce? Is he going to oh. – does he continue this breakout, or does he regress? I don't want to call it a sophomore slump because the guy's been around for a while, but is this the real Steve Pierce, or – you know. Yeah, so I think watching him play last year, well, and really the years before, I think the thing that stuck out to me most last year was the mechanical changes in his swing. Um, it really looked like he tried to make everything easy at the plate. You know, for the previous years, he had a, you know, he would lift his leg high. Um, and last year, he really removed that. He just had a little small toe tap. Um, he seems a little bit more closed off at the plate. He dropped his dropped his hands a little bit, um, but the the substance of his swing is similar to years before. And he's always been a strong player. He just has never had the time. And I think since he took the the uh, all the mechanical elements out of his swing and made it easier, I think that that's what helped him you know, make solid contact with the ball. He was able to let the ball travel in, in further in the strike zone so you could uh, see it, you know, a fraction of a second longer, but still that's enough to, you know, create a good load and allow the barrel of the bat um, to really connect hard with the ball. I, I don't think he's going to be on, you know, pace to do what he did last year. I mean, last year, if he played the full season at the level of play that he was, he would have been the best player in baseball last year. That's the type of pace he was on. Um, which I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think, you know, this is, a, it's a new guy. I think that, you know, there's no reason to expect him to be a six, one player, but, you know, I could see him playing 130, 140 games. You know, he played a good first base. He can play a, a decent right or left field. Um, and, you know, I could see 20, 25 home runs out of the guy with a, a solid on base and, uh, a good average. So he definitely is a it's a great story. Um, I'm glad they brought him back in April. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a nice four win player every bit if if he can oh, produce yeah. like that. So uh, one name and, and you know we could cover their pitching staff and go through the whole team, but one name I do want to talk about is Kevin Gossman. What is are they really going to put him in the bullpen? I mean, is this really uh, going to happen? Uh, unfortunately, I, I do think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, he's their second best starter, right? Yeah, if and he might yeah, be their best, if not, if not their best starter. Okay, so, so I'm I, not missing something. Okay. Yeah, I I think that 
you know, there's an argument to be made that he's their their second best starter, but I really do think that he, with his stuff, he could be the best. And this spring, um, and over the off season and late last year, he threw he threw a slider that at times really looked good, and that's what he needs. He needs that third pitch that's nasty to make him a true number one, which they don't have. You know, they have a bunch of number threes and number fours, which you know, any team would take, I think. You know, that's something on up the, the old Up and In podcast that uh, Jason Parks would say a lot. You know, he'd talk about drafts and how prospects, you know, they put this high ceiling on them of being a number one, but any team would take a full, you know, five number threes. You know, that's that's a really good thing to have, that type of depth that they yeah, have. The, the Chicago White Sox won a World Series with five number threes a few years ago with Burley and Garcia. and I mean, maybe you want to call them a two if you want, but that's what their rotation was. So I'm, I'm completely with you. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Gausman, he looked great out of the pen last year. I was in, you know, the, the playoff games when they were playing Detroit. I went to those, and it was he, he's just phenomenal pitcher. I think that developmentally, I think it's it doesn't do him – it doesn't do him any good to put him in the bullpen. He needs to he needs to work as a starter to get you know 180 to 200 innings in. He needs to start doing that to build his strength up, um, and to really get work get to work on his slider. That I think if he develops the slider and it becomes a you know a 50 to 60 grade pitch, I think he would be the ace that they drafted if he doesn't have that you know he'll be a great number three that splitter that he has is just nasty his fastball is hard with a little bit of movement and looks really good um and you know i i think right now chris tillman is probably on paper you know their quote-unquote number one he's not an ace you know he'll give you 200 innings of good you know, good baseball. He's not going to strike out a ton of guys. He's not going to walk a ton of guys. He'll give up most likely a lot of home runs. But it seems that, you know, like the whole staff, they found something to where they beat their FIP and their ex-FIP. Um, I think every player on their team last year beat their FIP by a wide margin. Um, I think the only person that did worse than their FIP was actually Gausman, who had like a 3-2 or something like that, Zip and Well, that defense can sure pick it. I mean, that may yeah. not be the whole uh, reason, but that's got to be a large part of it. So, all right, Chris, give me a uh, bold prediction and a win total for the Orioles this season. Okay, yeah. Um, so my bold prediction is they keep Gausman in as a starter, and he goes 200 innings, strikes out 220, and comes in fourth place for the Cy Young Award, winning 20 games. I'll give you bold uh, on that one. That's bold. Yeah. That is legitimately – that's a capital <laughs> bold and bold. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think I wrote on the website that – I think I put 85 wins or 86. Um, I think they'll be second-place team um, behind – I can't decide if it's going to be the Blue Jays or the Red Sox. It just depends. Uh, I think the Blue Jays had a better chance of coming out on top before the Stroman injury, but – um, I definitely think they're going to be a second-place team, 86 wins. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I think. Is that a I guess another, another that a bold w- prediction that I I think definitely will not happen is Jimenez having a below-four ERA and 
walking less than three per nine. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'll take the under on that bet. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, is the are the Orioles making the playoffs with those eighty six wins in second place? Are they going to the wild card? I do think so. Yes, okay. they'll be they'll be back in the wild card game like they were in two thousand twelve. Okay, great. I'll, I think the Orioles fans would take that. So, oh yeah. All right, Simon, I'm calling you back in from the bullpen. I hope you're well-rested. Yeah, uh, I'm going to use the left arm this time. Oh, good. You'll vendit us for it, so perfect. I think we've gotten two vendit mentions in this podcast already, so perfect. Uh, Ryan, I wanted, to, I wanted to amend something I said about the Rangers. It just totally slipped my mind, maybe because I just got out of bed. But uh, I mentioned that there was no prospect in the pipeline that was going to make a difference, and I completely forgot about the elephant in the room, Joey Gallo, who smashes car windshields with his monstrous home run shots and appears almost ready or ready to contribute to major league level. The only question being, what type of player is he going to be? He's going to hit a lot of home runs. Is he going to strike out 40% of the time like he did at AAA? That's the real question. Yeah, and that uh, is part of the question of, does Beltre get traded with Gallo if he's ready midseason? But yeah, no, Gallo's a special talent. I'm a big Jorge Alfaro fan. I still think I still believe in his talent too. I think he'll be a star. Yeah, I like that guy too. He's a, he's very athletic for a catcher. Throws well. Just uh doesn't seem to have a good head on his shoulders at this point. Maybe he'll straighten that out. He's still 20, 21, 22 years old. I mean, he's still very young. But yeah, I agree with you. So, but Simon, let's uh I'm calling you back in uh cuz you got to explain to me and I'm calling it auto new. And if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I'm sorry everybody, but uh the fantasy baseball league known as Auto New. I've played base I, fantasy for 10 or 15 years, and I've just started hearing about these leagues and this concept in the last, I don't know, six months. I know nothing about it. So literally, Simon, what is it? Well, it's a lot of fun, actually. I've done it for three years, and it's uh, it's created by the guys over at Fangraphs. I think you know Saris uh, was one of the uh, initial people to bring it along. The pronunciation, I'm not sure. I've been calling it Auto Niu. I don't know why, but that's what I call it. Uh, I'm part German and uh, the German pronunciation would be Auto Neu, like N-O-I. And I was looking at an old Eno Saris tweet that explains the uh, pronunciation to Dave Cameron, uh, saying the same thing. But in German, Auto Neu would be Auto Neu. So Auto N-O-I, Auto Neu, which sounds really funny off the tongue. But and again, this is a, this is a fantasy baseball league. It's based on uh, statistics that are more metrically inclined. You don't have your five categories, your, your average and home runs and RBIs, your wins for pitchers. You do have saves for pitchers, but the, the offensive categories are replaced by uh, uh, metrics uh, similar to, I guess we would say, uh, weighted runs created or uh, uh, something of that ilk, maybe an OPS+. plus. Basically, your hitters are, are given points for varying accomplishments, and in this case, a walk and a hit are both worth uh, the same amount of points. You don't get extra points for runners on base and RBI and things like that. It's really just your o- offensive contribution. So it's kind of fun in that in that sense. Uh, pitchers would be judged more on a FIP uh, or fielding independent pitching-based uh, statistics. So things like strikeouts and walks are really important. Home runs you give up are important because you know, those are bad things when you're on the mound. And so... Uh, you know, this is a league. Uh, we, we kind of jumped into it. Somebody suggested it on the Effectively Wild uh, site, or maybe it was banished to the pen. I can't remember which Facebook site, but one of them 
And I jumped at the chance because to to play it with some uh, like-minded individuals was appealing to me. So we uh, recently had our draft, I think a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and uh, which was which was fascinating as well. So it's a it's kind of a fun sabermetrically inclined fantasy baseball league. And you know, me personally, I get tired of of the old leagues where people still care about who has the most RBI or you know, who, st- who steals the most bases when it doesn't take into account the number of times they were caught. Things that, that me as a baseball fan, they kind of grind on me, and somehow I'm still rooting for players to do this. This is an outlet for me to think rationally as a baseball fan and still enjoy the fruits uh, of a fantasy league. So tell. So when you're drafting players, I mean, I'm I'm assuming Mike Trout is phenomenal in this format, just like he is in the regular format. But what are you looking for? Are there players that are, I don't how do I want to say this, that are more valuable in this specific league than perhaps in, you know, a regular Yahoo league, for instance? Well, sure. I mean, you, you can you can probably just look at a players' WAR, um, maybe take out the defense, and that's how you're going to rank your players. I ranked them by uh, the metric weighted runs created. And uh, guys like Trout are always going to be near the top there. You know, Andrew McCutcheon, Miguel Cabrera. So you still have kind of the same players uh, leading the pack. But then you also find some interesting players that you don't think are going to be 10th in weighted runs created. Like In a given year, you might have a Mike Napoli there or somebody who doesn't jump out at you, but you know, they hit a good combination of doubles and homers. They don't strike out a lot. They uh, get on base a lot. Uh the guys that have the strong on-base skills along with power are going to be rated higher uh, than the guys that maybe hit a lot of homers but don't get on base. So that part is fun. And you might want to ask Chris to weigh in because I think Chris, if I'm not mistaken, is in the uh, the same league, the Band to, Banish to the Pen Auto Noy League. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, Chris, well, I'm uh, sorry. I didn't know you were participating in this either. That's okay. It's nice to find that out now. Well, um, <laughs> uh, Chris, give me your perspective. I'm curious. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe, maybe tell them what your team name is, Chris. Yeah, um, so this is my third year with Auto. I, I say Auto New, um, but this is my third or I think third or fourth year in it. I think third. Um, uh, my team's name is Ryan Webb's Save Chances, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, in the other league that I'm in, um, I it's the same style for scoring, but I inherited that team that I I had in that other league, so I never really had a chance to build the team from scratch. In um, the draft this year, I tried something different, and it ended up I think backfiring a little bit. I spent a lot of money on 27 guys out of 40. Um, I have $13 for 13 players left, which is not a lot. But I I, I think it's really fun. Um, it's definitely different. I've, I have Dynasty Leagues on uh, Fantrax, which is a, a good site to use. I've used Yahoo. And, you know, I think there's a place for standard Roto Leagues and things like that, or, or standard points. Um, but for the the really diehard baseball fan this league this type of system is really really fun it makes you think a little bit more you know you'll have guys you know it the past three years yeah trout has been one of the top scorer uh scorers for for these leagues but you know if his strike rate continues to go up you know maybe that'll change and maybe like mccutcheon will take the lead or stanton or 
you know, somebody like that. I think last year, um, Michael Brantley was a, was a top guy in one of the leagues I was in. And he had a great year anyway, but it's a guy that, you know, he doesn't strike out hardly at all. I think his strikeout percentage and walk percentage were less than one percentage point apart, which really helps for this type of league. Um, so, so do you both find that this league is more, how do I want to say this? Uh, the players that are playing it are more dedicated because it's a more of a statistically oriented higher level league well i like to think so but it remains to be seen i i know that uh the, the league i was in last year there were several people that were active early and then just kind of dropped out so and i don't that, know if they got and that's the worst thing about fantasy sports yeah it's really in june so half the you're league competing teams. with like four other people right. who are supposed to be competing with 10 but uh yeah i think with the the ban- banished to the pen guys this is going to be active because we can uh you know yak about it on facebook too and poke fun at each other, make bad trades, things like that. One <laughs> of the fun things about the league are some of the team names. Uh, my team is named Venomous Snakes, which uh, we all know where that comes from. Uh, we have uh, Matt Albers Pants, and uh, I think as Chris mentioned, is Ryan Webb's Save Chances, and a Grand Theft Vado. So, you know, some, some kind of fun, like effectively wild-centric uh, names. Uh, w- one thing that was fun or interesting to see is uh, how people approached the the draft, which was an auction. And uh, I thought with uh, some of the more statistically inclined and, and uh, sabermetrically oriented baseball fans participating, it would be more of a kind of a, a reasonable, uh, rational approach to, to salaries, not spending too much on players, kind of waiting it out. And boy, was I wrong because I think Mike Trout jumped off the board at sixty-five bucks. <laughs> you have a uh, four hundred dollars to spend, and uh, here's Mike Trout, the sixty-five bucks or somewhere in that in that area. And then you had uh, Miguel Cabrera going for even more, I think. <laughs> and so I quickly realized that r- rational approach wasn't going to work for me, so I jumped in and got. Andrew McCutcheon, who led the league in uh, weighted runs created last year at 64 bucks, went and grabbed Kershaw at 50, and then Bumgarner at 31, and then I kind of calmed down. Uh, and as Chris mentioned, so, you know, some some other folks like him just kept spending and spending, just thinking, uh, I guess stars and scrubs approach. But I I like my lineups is pretty balanced. I, I got some guys I really like that are I want to root for in real life anyway, like Jock Peterson and. Uh, I'd like to see J.D. Martinez repeat his success. He's a fun guy. Jose Altuve. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think, as, as Chris mentioned earlier, uh, Kevin Gossman is uh, one of the guys I took a gamble on. Uh, eight bucks is quite a bit for a high-leverage reliever or whatever, however the Orioles plan on deploying him this year. But he's he's on the roster taking up space, so let's hope they uh, move him into a starting role uh, well, well, sooner we, rather than later. Well, before we shift off fantasy talk, how about each each of you guys give me a fantasy sleeper of yours? Sounds like you guys have had your drafts, so uh, give me a sleeper, each of you. Oh, you know uh, what? I, I kind of got one for you here. Uh, Mark Teixeira. I think people have just kind of written him off, and I think he's got a season or two left in him. If you've seen him in spring training, this guy looks great. You know, I hate to say best shape of his life, but, I mean, this, this has always been a really athletic slugger. Uh, he's never been that thick-bodied, slow-plodding guy, even though, you know, kind of that's what he is now at his age. But you know, he's got he's r- real athletic-looking. Looks like he can still move around. And I like him to do pretty well this year, maybe to the tune of, you know, 270, 
350, 475 or something like that, maybe with 25 homers. Seems like a seems like pretty reasonable expectation for Teixeira, and I think uh, everybody's kind of forgot that he's still playing. Good call. Chris? Yeah, um, I, I could definitely see that. Going also along the, the with the Yankees, um, Brian McCann, I think, could have a sneaky year. He was he was pretty awful last year, I think. Um, but he's still, what, maybe 30, 31 years old. And, uh, you know, if he makes a couple of minor adjustments, I think he could have a, you know, not not Brian McCann with the Braves type of year, but definitely what the Yankees are paying him for. I think they could, he could, he could do that. Another guy that I like probably a bit more than a lot of other people is Martin Prado this year. Um, not for any particular baseball reason outside of the old school scoring of runs and RBIs, because he's either going to hit in front of Giancarlo Stanton and behind Kristen Yelich or behind Giancarlo Stanton and have Kristen Yelich, uh, Marcelo Zuna and Giancarlo Stanton on bases in front of him when he's hitting. And for traditional scoring methods for fantasy, that can be a, a huge thing. Yeah, um, that's a good name. That's a good name. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you one. Willie Peralta. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's getting drafted if he's even being drafted uh, in the last rounds. And uh, this guy that won 17 games last year. And I, I think people forget because he's in Milwaukee. And uh, I like Jimmy Nelson up there, too. I, I like their pitching staff in general. So Milwaukee pitching, but particularly Peralta. So Yeah. Remember where you heard that. it, everybody. Yeah, I snagged Peralta off the waiver wire for cheap. Uh, what I like about him is he throws what, 96, 97, or has one of the highest uh, average fastball velocities in the league. And the K's. And, uh, and he gets still a K's. young guy, and he's going to figure out at some point and get those strike-up numbers out, I think. And the pedigree is oh, yeah. there. I mean, this is a guy that definitely was a prospect coming up. And, you know, he's 26, I think, now. I mean, he's still relatively young. So, like I said, that's my guy. So, remember where you heard it kind of thing. Oh, so. yeah. And he's, you know, he's also built like a workhorse. He's a giant guy. He's He's got the traditional body shape that uh you know you want in a pitcher that goes 200 innings and throws 110 pitches per game and i love that his catcher's luke roy so just another benefit so all right guys before we get out of here we're running a little late on time today so i want to uh move forward here uh i want to ask you guys uh, normally we do biggest pet peeve but this uh we're a week from opening day we're going positive this week so what is your most vivid or your favorite your best baseball memory and I and either one of you guys can start. I'll start with Chris alphabetically. If you're not ready, then Simon, go ahead. Yeah, um, no, I can go. Um, so, as an Orioles fan, I go with the opening of uh, Camden Yards. You know, it's been 23 years now. Uh, it replaced Memorial Stadium. It's to me one of the most just beautiful parks that you can go to. You know, a lot of times you can go to a baseball stadium, which to me isn't anything good, but it's truly a park. It's wonderful. I went there opening season. I was a little kid, and I still remember it. Um, but as a pure just baseball perspective, one of the, the best memories of my life is the summer of 1998. I was 12 years old, playing Little League, you know, still had the dreams of being a Major League Baseball player. And seeing Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire just crush the baseball, you know, every day. And it really, you know, brought the nation back um, to love baseball again. And it was just a remarkable summer and one that I'll never forget. 
That's a great answer. Simon? Easy one. Uh, I wasn't at the ballpark, but I was a reporter in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was covering the 2004 World Series uh, with the Red Sox still not having won one. And uh, I remember vividly the, the final out of the final game where uh, Keith Folk took the grounder back mm-hmm. to him, took a couple steps over to first base and lobbed it underhand to Boeck. Was it Minkiewicz? Yeah, it was Minkiewicz, who then kept the ball later. And just everybody freaking, the bar exploded uh, around me into cheers. And it was, it was, uh, it was something, something, unla- I couldn't imagine being at the ballpark when that happened. I would have just lost my mind. I'm a big Red Sox fan and had never seen a, um, a championship. And so I, I can just imagine 70 and 80 year old men at home just losing their minds uh, when that happened. They were lucky enough to see it. So that's it for me. Yeah, that's a great answer. And you got to be getting on the clock for it to be that much the better, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have any adult beverages is the problem. <laughs> that, that's actually a bummer. So, uh, but in some seriousness, guys, th- those are great answers. That's really, really great. So, uh, Chris and Simon, thank you so much for joining me this week. I think we're going to try to cut it here. But uh, how about if uh, one more time you guys give out your Twitter handle and where they can find you, either at Banish to the Pen or otherwise. Uh, we'll start alphabetical, just to be fair. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Uh, yeah, you can find me at CJ Baber on Twitter. Um, and on Banish to the Pen, I've only wrote two things, but I do have an article that I've been researching in my time off Um so that should be coming fairly soon. Sounds great. Simon? And you can find me at, at SG Gutierrez on Twitter. Uh, normal spelling on Gutierrez there. You can pronounce it any way you want. I've heard it a million different ways. <laughs> and I have a Mariners preview coming up for uh, Banish to the Pen that I'm almost finished with. So expect that in the next day or two. Some interesting numbers and things in there. It uh, should be a, an interesting team going forward with a you know, potentially exciting young rotation. Yeah, that sounds great. And you did uh, the Texas preview as well. That was terrific. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for both of your guys' work. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me today. This was a great hour of baseball talk. We covered a lot of topics, and uh, I think we gave some pretty good perspective on Texas and Baltimore. So uh, yeah. thank you guys for, for having us, and uh, be happy to be back anytime. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I hope to have you guys back uh, here in the relatively near future. So. Thank you, guys, and uh, thanks for joining me. All right. Thank you. Cheers. And that was episode 13 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Chris Baber and Simon Gutierrez. Thanks to them for joining me today and for their contributions to the site so far. Uh, Also, as I do each week, I'd like to publicly thank uh, the writers, editors, contributors, technical staff, basically everybody involved in Banish to the Pen. Uh, We're now going on about four, five, six months now, and uh, we're doing a tremendous product each and every day, coming out with new content and really great work. We've seen some guys uh, already get picked up to the major leagues, so to speak, and other sites. So uh, please keep checking out every uh, Banish to the Pen every day, and uh, definitely bookmark it and all that good stuff. With that, this episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.